0: And didn't listen to the imposter syndrome that was, you know, telling me, like, this is stupid. Nobody's going to connect with this. It, it, it was that was present, you know, days before I was like, you know, maybe I should just rewrite it again. All
1: right. I want you all to close your eyes and imagine your worst fear as a working artist. You thinking about it? Now, you wouldn't be alone if what came to mind was having to walk onto a stage and stand in front of a couple hundred strangers to give a talk for the very first time. There's something about public speaking that puts fear into even the most confident of artists. But that's just what today's guest did and the results of that talk are still reverberating. Take a listen as we chat with Amanda Russell and Ruth Newberry of Cream Studios as they talk about how and why Amanda agreed to getting on stage at Adobe Max this year. We've added a link to the show notes to Amanda's talk at Max and if you take the time to watch it, you'll witness someone demonstrating some deep vulnerability while giving some insights on a particular career that isn't heard from that often. Join me as we check in with Amanda and Ruth to find out if they could find the fun in talking to a couple hundred complete strangers. Let's not just say speaking. You were a luminary speaker, Amanda.
2: Very fancy.
0: Which
1: is more than just getting on stage. Hmm. Was this the first Adobe Max for the two of you going, or have you represented Cream before as a studio?
0: No, we've never gone. This is our first time at Adobe altogether. Or LA. Oh, really? Yeah, it was both of our. Yeah, it was our first time. I feel like we've been so many places together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was unusual to actually have a new place like LA to experience together. And my husband Adam even said that's so cool that you and Ruth could do that, like as a team. So yeah, it was it was really neat, and we we really liked LA. It was it was a different kind of place, but it was fun. And as far as Adobe Max goes, never been. It was amazing and, uh, yeah, had no idea what to expect. It was wild.
1: Bruce, what was, what was your expectation going in, having never been there? It's 10,000 10, other artists, creatives, people working in our industry, related industries.
2: What did you expect? I think I expected just a big, like, dash-bash or, like, blend-fest or something like that with other industries involved. It wasn't like that at all, but it was still enjoyable. I think I'd like to go back when Amanda's not speaking so that we don't have that pressure uh, and we can just kind of go and and be one of the, one of the people to enjoy it.
1: It's amazing to me that you said you want to go a time when Amanda's not speaking, because it sounds like the two of you were almost on stage together in terms of the amount of work. I think Ruth was in the front row because I remember you calling out to her um, while you're on stage. Talk, Talk a little bit about just that experience. Like when did you get the call? How did you start prepping and, what was your your headspace right before you get on stage like that?
0: So I keep a red like rotary phone by my bed and it's, it's the Adobe max phone and they called and it was amazing. No, it was not like that at all. Like a bat signal, but for Adobe, it was actually, you know, it was the beginning of this year and it was, it was a friend of a friend who connected me with Adobe max and Right out of the gate, they just said, "Hey, we we want you to be a luminary speaker," and that was like it. And I was like, "I mean, the email that I wrote back to that mutual friend, um, can I cuss on this show?" Okay, it said, "Holy,"
1: the email back
0: uh, to to the mutual friend. Um, it was just a big surprise, and then I said yes because. I, it's it's just been a goal of mine to get better at this thing. I think that, uh, and I talk about it in my speech, but I, I really feel like everybody should get better at this level of communication because we all have a message to spread. And, and so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to commit to this. But then I immediately started freaking out. You know, I had, I think, maybe like eight months to prep and I rewrote it, I think five or six times at least, uh, redid my... Keynote at least five or six times, including two nights before my speech. I completely redesigned everything, and this is an hour-long speech with a very heavy keynote slide. So Ruth was there while I was freaking out. It's just my process of doing revisions and freaking out, not believing in myself, and then finally pulling through. But I will say this: I did not expect to need help, like assistance but I did. And Ruth, this is why she is just my ride or die. Like she, without asking, without anything, every morning, she's like, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to get you coffee. I'm going to grab pastries or whatever. Like she literally helped. She would carry things for me. I felt like I needed to pay her. It was the sweetest, most genuine. It was She, I would not have been able to do that without her. I know it. So thank you, honey. I really appreciate it.
2: I was uh, just stage momming her hard because I don't have kids, so like this is my chance to care for someone else. Um, also, I, I just I love to travel so much and meet new people that she has all of these opportunities. So I feel extremely lucky to be able to be the tag along. Um, and I know she's shaking her head and rolling her eyes, but you know it's it's I do what I can. I guess, but also I'm very um proud of her. Like she's doing stuff that I don't really want to do. Uh, I don't want to be up on a stage in front of people. So she she can do that for me. I'll talk to her about the things, and then she can say the words.
1: I think that's what's so fascinating though about Cream, the fact that you have a kind of like a three-headed creative director slash owner leadership model. Even even when I I finally met the two of you for the first time in New York, I thought it was so fascinating that. Ruth, you you came along, and it was almost like Cream was getting double the experience with the same amount of time because you were going off and, and and on your own little missions of getting like inspiration and checking out bookstores, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, and seeing museums. and And I feel like the two of you are almost like joined at the hip, but then at the same time going off and like kind of collecting all of this energy and and inspiration and experience, and that all comes right back to Cream. and And it, it feels so cool that even like in building the speech and presenting the speech. This feels like a totally different way of setting up a studio creatively.
0: Well, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everyone because it's, it works really well for us. Um, and it just, I, we, I think we know we got lucky in that. Um, yeah. we're, we're very aware. Um, but we're all friends. We hang out. You know, we don't get to hang out as much as we want to. But Ruth and I travel... More than any other friend of mine, you know, like we we like each other genuinely, and we laugh, and we have weird senses of humor, and so like we crack each other up and get gross, and it's fun. Yeah, Um, you you have to do that when you're in a hotel
2: room together the whole time, like very close quarters, especially at Adobe Max.
0: Right. So it's just fun for us.
2: Let's be clear, though. Like she did the bulk of the work on on the speech. Like I was just the support system. I I was the pastry getter. And but I mean this this woman, she was yes, she tried to redo it the whole thing two days beforehand, which I would never have gone for if I were actually the one in it. I would have geared her into like going, let's use the things that we've already been working on for the past nine months. Um but I would wake up and we were sharing a hotel room. So like she was on the other bed. I would wake up in the middle of the night and just kind of see the glow of the laptop from the other side of the room. And I would, part of me was like, okay, I should tell her to get some sleep because that's not gonna be good. The other part of me was just like, okay, just pretend you're asleep and and don't interrupt her. Just let her keep going. And that's what I, that's what I did.
1: I feel like if you care about what you're saying, not just for yourself, but what the audience is gonna take from something, this is the way it goes. You obsess about it, you question it. And at any given point, somewhere between Two months to two days before, you throw it all away because everything getting to that point, that fear, that trepidation, that imposter syndrome, it all adds up to the, there's a revelation of like, this is what it's about. My favorite thing about the whole speech when you watch it is pay attention to the camera person following you. It was so (laughs) much fun to just be like, the camera person is like here and here and here because there was so much energy. I felt like all that energy and that frustration or fear or whatever was bottled up and it was literally coming out as you're talking, but it came out in a really unique way that I really appreciate. Like, I felt like you were searching for people to be speaking to individual faces, looking for head nods or laughs while you were talking.
0: Totally. So yes to all of that. I have terrible presentation anxiety, just terrible anxiety overall. And I talk about that in my speech. And so this is a hurdle that I never thought, first of all, I didn't think anybody would give me this opportunity, like why? But also it was an opportunity for me to grow. Like, that's what I wanted. And I, at the same time, I have valuable information that I'm just starting to realize can help so many people. And I think I withheld that for a long time because I didn't know my own value, period. You know, you just kind of like think, oh, well, everybody else knows this. Actually, they don't. Once I spoke at Camp MoGraph, I had a lot of people just kind of talking to me and having a lot of revelations. Like, what I need to say is actually going to directly affect someone else. So that empowered me to actually step foot on that stage. If I, if it was all about me, if I had to just give my origin story or just talk about the studio, I probably wouldn't have done it at that time because it's too much about me. I wanted to help people there. And I was so rewarded by the conversations afterwards. So many amazing people that came up to me after uh, the talk. And said, hey, I connected with you on this thing, and I connected with you on that thing. So it was I couldn't have asked for a better outcome. You know, I, I know I have to get better at <laughs> preparation 100%, but um, I'm so glad that I did it because now I can focus on that. Before, it was just all about the nerves and everything. So I'm going to say a couple things about my process. And yes, I did the revision thing over and over again. So." I had a message I knew I wanted to say, but I didn't really come up with a game concept. I I converted my journey into a a game. I didn't come up with that until three weeks before I stepped on stage. And I had eight months. Okay.
1: I was hoping you weren't going to say two days before. That was my question. was like, did the game concept come up two days before? And that's why you had to stay up so late.
0: No, I really wanted to redesign everything though. Um, And then I needed to reformat it. You know, it's just, it's a a lot, way more than I thought. And I wanted to pack in as much as I could. I didn't pack in as much as I wanted, but you know, that's, that's the brakes. But I'm going to shout out to Noel Honig because he said, um, he told me like, just rest assured that a keynote is never done. It's just due. And I was like, I think I love that because it kind of takes, you know, a little bit of the heat off. It's like, it just doesn't have to be perfect. And for what the for what we create, we usually aim for perfection, all the revisions and deadlines and all that. It was like, okay, no, I can have a conversation with the audience and look at them directly. And if I need to make an excuse, you know, and tell them the truth about why my keynote isn't fully finished, then I can just do that live. They're people. It did not occur to me ever that I did not have to be perfect on stage until then. And it felt so good to not be perfect and just expose myself to everyone um, with my clothes on, um, and then, and just be real. And I think everyone responded to that in in a positive way. And I, I hope I gave permission to other people to just be themselves.
1: I feel like that was the biggest takeaway I took from your talk was you allowed not only yourself to talk about what it's like to look in the mirror. You also kind of allowed the audience to look at themselves too. Cause it, to me, I think this is a pro tip. Anybody who ever has to talk on stage and they don't know what to talk about. Do a speech about doing a speech because I think everyone in that audience will feel this, this immediate empathy of, like, oh my God, I don't want to ever have to do this. I think it's one of the, the best ways to start thinking about how to get on stage and talk to other people.
0: Well, let me just talk about the irony here because this was my second speaking engagement ever, like, you know, a live situation like that. And so I had this idea and I'm like, so many times. I would go, why am I choosing this as if I know what the hell I'm talking about? But then I kept referencing myself. I don't have to be the speaker coach. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not giving speaker tips. I'm not saying, you know, keep your voice up or it's not about that. It's about having the confidence and it's finding yourself and, and having the confidence to first of all, say yes. And to be interesting enough, genuinely, authentically, because you're putting yourself out there into the world. And then those opportunities come to you. So it's not you kind of trying to hustle and like find these things. It's really all about just like putting your true self out there for everyone else to accept or reject whatever it is. And then from there, you're going to see how things change dramatically for the better.
2: Uh, It's about finding your people by putting your true self out there. It's it's funny because on our website we've always had this quote since day one. It's about finding your tribe. And that's how Dave Amanda and I felt when we first met.
0: Yeah.
1: I feel like we're very lucky as artists when we can find those people that every time I talk to you I get more excited about what I have to do. Yeah. yeah. Or or every time I talk to you I feel more I feel like I have more energy than when I came into the conversation. And I really do feel like The ripples of, like, when you talk, you can stand back a couple steps and observe it. You did a talk that was probably uncomfortable and scary and fearful. You're literally seeing the immediate effects of it, which is, I think, you know, it's so rewarding, but it also, I don't know how you feel, how both of you feel, but it makes you want to do it more. It makes you want to find other people that you can lift up to then do it as well, which is kind of why we're doing the podcast.
2: One thing that I'd like to share, which I don't think Amanda even knows this. So after, um, after his speech was done, we went back. To, to the hotel and we were just kind of sitting in the lounge area um, with, with a friend um, and she was getting all of these messages telling her how uh, the speech had affected people or like from people how the, the speech had affected them and one of them I believe was from Casey from Mothers of MoGraph and Amanda burst out crying like didn't tell me what anything was and I grabbed my camera she didn't It. I just kind of like put my hand on the table with the camera uh, on, and got her reaction to reading this uh, this email from Casey from Mothers of MoGraph, and she's trying not to cry, Um, but it was the most adorable thing ever.
0: Okay, well I'm going to try to talk now, but I'm going to get through it. Um, so something that nobody knows really, besides the people that were in the deck, no one knew that I was going to be talking about them in the ways that I did. But with some of the more personal stories with Joey Cornman, School of Motion podcast, Mothers of MoGraph, they had no idea that I would be pulling them in with such vulnerable stories. So when I got off that stage, the reactions were amazing. Sorry, I'm going to try not to cry, but that was it. It was so, so sweet.
1: No, it's okay. That's this is why we do this stuff, right? You don't ever get a chance to measure, did I do good? That I move somebody—that's kind of our all our goal. I think most people who consider themselves like an artist for a career, like you, want to do something that connects and moves and changes people. So I I think it's fine to cry when you find out that you did it, Um, right? Like you actually accomplished it.
0: So many emotions, so much support and love that it just reaffirmed everything that I said in my in my talk. It was exactly, you know, I was so worried about that specific message, but then. Towards, you know, once everything had like revealed itself, I realized, okay, that is exactly what everybody wanted to hear and what they needed to hear. And um, I'm so glad that I, I stuck to that and I didn't listen to the imposter syndrome that was, you know, telling me like... This is stupid. Nobody's going to connect with this because it 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 was that was present, you know, days before I was like, you know, maybe I should just rewrite it again. But you're right. Having those layers of feedback happen again and again with people that experienced it in the room, people that watched it live that I knew and were surprised, and then strangers that have reached out since to let me know how it's affected them. It has blown my mind and it has motivated me even more to push out the, the same message because I feel like it's, it's needed and it's impactful and gosh, it just makes me feel great. It just makes me feel like I'm doing something that is way bigger than a commercial, you know, or, or an ad for, for someone else. I feel like I'm making an impact in our community.
1: So you get off stage. Did you feel more exhausted? or more excited the moment you're like your feet come off the stage and you're not checking your phone. I
0: was excited. I was so excited. I was like, I was relieved. Ruth was relieved. I thought Ruth was going to pass out. She was like, ah, you know, it's all over <laughs> because she was right up front, her and Ricardo.
2: You know, she got up on stage and my stomach dropped. Yeah. Like I, th- I think I grabbed Ricardo's arm. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I was like, there's no part of me that wants to be up there right now. I'm like, thank God.
1: Yeah. it's 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 like taking off in a plane for the first time. You're like, I have no idea how I'm going to land this, but I, I'm 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 up in the air. I I got to keep going.
0: Right. The weird thing, and I I want to call this out because this might happen to some other people if if it's their first time doing a speech. I did not expect this, um, and this didn't really happen with Camp Mograph, but it happened with this huge speech. Uh, I was nervous for like eight months of my life, like barely slept and like had panic attacks and all the normal stuff <laughs> for me, but then. When we got to LA, after we did the AV check the day before, something happened inside of me and everything, all of the fear went away. So even when I got on stage, now I will say that I had, there's a little bit of a last minute tweak that I wanted to make before I got on stage and I didn't have time to make it. So that was fun. And that made Ruth want to kill me. Sorry, but um, it, it all worked out. Um, but I, I was not afraid to get on stage instead I actually looked forward to kind of getting it over with but I wanted to look at all of the faces in that room and see them and to talk to them that was really it it just made me so much more confident in the fact that this is not a big old presentation where I'm supposed to just talk to a a blank wall of of no faces it's it's people right there there it's just having this amazing conversation where people are choosing to come and, and listen to you. And that is an amazing feeling. And it's super humbling.
1: So you, you get off stage, you're excited, you're getting a flood of messages. The next however many days, what's the rest of that experience like? What what was the rest of the experience of being at that conference? 10,000 creative people, all kinds of new announcements, just like a general level of buzz. What, what was the rest of that experience like?
0: Ruth, you want to go ahead and take this one?
2: We have a series of pictures that are quite ridiculous, um, but- I think I think on my Instagram story, there's actually that one where it's like I, I love this woman or whatever because we're just sitting on her bed and giggling over everything. I mean that's kind of something that we do anyway when we go to these conferences is we at in the middle of the night after getting done with whatever social thing we're doing that day, we tend to get some junk food and sit up and talk about all the stupid things we said and, and laugh at ourselves. It kinda ho- it helps with um not overthinking how, how stupid you've been that day.
0: Yeah. We talk each other down. We're like, no, 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 you're fine. You didn't say that. Everything was, was cool.
1: No one heard this. No one saw that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's totally normal.
0: I think that, uh, yeah, we, we did the pizza thing and that, you know, we, we considered going out that night, but it was the whole conference is just really, it's the biggest conference I've ever been to, it, you know, 10,000 yeah. people. And it's a different kind of conference. And I wasn't fully aware of what that meant. Um, until I got there, you really kind of have to just experience it. But I think it's more for those who are kind of getting into motion design or getting into their career and they, they're they wanting to learn as much as possible. And so there's labs where you can learn like after effects, tricks, all these things, um, in that moment. And so I just didn't expect w- what it was. It was just massive, by the way, a closing party, yeah. which we have to talk about. Oh my God. Ta-da. It was the biggest outdoor party I've ever seen, and was it Run DMC? Was the DJ? And I'm yeah. And like, I ate so much food, I almost got sick. There's art installations everywhere. It was wild, and it was it was fun. We had a really good time. It was so. Thank you, Adobe Max. Let me do it again.
1: I think it's so cool that you you were able to have an experience of being able to do something like Camp Mograph and speak at that. And then contrast it to something like Adobe Max because it's still artists, but it's a totally different, A, just different energy, different amount of people, different space, you know, contained inside rooms and, you know, like conference halls versus just being out in nature. And again, like people looking for a different experience just said LA, right? So I I have to hear, I I felt like I was living vicariously through all this. Like afterwards, you get to go and explore LA. What did you do outside of the conference that you got to enjoy your first time? I I just selfishly. I want to hear like, what were your highlights of being around LA?
2: Well, first of all, you need to come next time so that we can yeah. go explore places and then you can be our Sherpa, take us to all the great places. Yes. But yes. It's going to be a
1: lot of tacos and udon and sushi and yeah. whatever else happens after that. It's good.
2: Well, I, I think one of my favorite places now is, is the last bookstore, which I don't know the story behind it, but it's, it's this used bookstore that's humongous and it's built almost like an art installation in and of itself. It's like a labyrinth of books. And I kind of got lost in there for, I don't know, four or five hours and spent way too much money. Um, but uh, that was definitely one of the highlights. It's also got like some gallery spaces with some kitschy artists. I love it. I will definitely be going back there.
0: We went to the Getty Museum as well, which I highly recommend. We had lunch on the patio and just got to see like illuminated manuscripts of every shape and size. And they were so beautiful. And then we just went down to the gardens, which are also so beautiful. Everything was just like kind of surreal and perfect. The weather's perfect. People are perfect. Everybody's nice too. I was really surprised about how nice people in LA are. Um, so thanks to the people of LA, like literally everyone we encountered that was working. It was the best service that we've ever had. So it was like, damn, this place is amazing. So we'll be back for sure.
1: I I tell people who have never been to LA, but have a lot of preconceptions of what it could or might be, that no matter what you've heard about LA, it's not true and you haven't heard the other story. Because LA is basically three to four totally different cities that happen to all be sitting next to each other.
0: Yeah. And we went to the last day we went to the beach. Uh, We went to Venice Beach and we went to Santa Monica and I kind of walked through there and and I will say that I agree with you because you can have any kind of experience there. <laughs> there's there's potentially dangerous experiences and potentially amazing experiences. You just kind of have to like be aware of that. But the beach itself was incredible. Um I'm I grew up in Virginia Beach. I'm really used to the the East Coast, and Ruth is uh from Maryland, so you know, um, Going there, it was like the world in a lot of ways, but it was so cool. We just had, I'm going to say like one of the best days ever, like travel days on that last day where we could just chill and just do whatever we wanted to do. We actually had a couple of like client meetings in between because everybody's out in LA anyway. So it was really great to just kind of tap into all, all that's there while we were there. And, and also have like a ton of fun. It was great. Always.
1: So I, the last thing I just want to ask you about, because you, you you did a great job just like dropping a little hint to it, but part of your speech and something that you, you and I have had like some really long discussions before it ever even turned into anything. And now it's taken us crazy life of its own. Can you just give us an elevator pitch of what Creative Codex is and why people should be interested in it?
0: So the Creative Codex, it was born from the frustration of having these terms that are like overlapping terms from one creative industry to another, and now they don't really make any sense. There's a lot of frustration around that because we need to be able to communicate quickly when we're starting a project or even through a project, whether it's with an artist or whether it's with a client, you have to know what you're talking about. And the, the creative codex aims to fix that. It's going to be the gold standard for not just motion design terminology, but creative industry terminology and beyond. So right now we're working through kind of creating this dictionary, this like lexicon of terms that fits within motion design, but eventually it's going to offer more of an encyclopedia approach. Like if you want to do this, then here's how you do it. And here are some visual references for what a storyboard versus an animatic and so on and so on. And there's a ton of studios involved in the committee, which is what we're kind of like voting on things right now. But at some point very soon, uh, everyone really in the industry can contribute to this. If you have a term that is not in the creative codex, or if there's a term in the creative codex that you would like to see modified, there's going to be a website where you can submit a modification form or just, you know, submission form for those terms and you'll get credit. You'll have your name listed as a credit so that, you know, that's kind of like your contribution. And, and I believe this will be a legacy for those in motion design.
1: I love it because I've always been frustrated that there's never been a, a coalesced democratic voice that kind of puts a flag in the sand and says, for motion design, here's at least the base level knowledge that we all accept to be true. You can modify that. and You can change it. But when I talk to an artist or a producer and say animatic versus previs, it'd be great to have at least a place to point to that says we're all coming from a common starting point. Because yeah. I can't tell you how many times I, I tell an artist, we're going to send you the animatic and tell the producer the same thing. And then the producer tells the client with a different terminology or different expectation. And none of those three are actually aligned to what as a creative director, I have in my head of the way I see it. It's like, there's a bunch of people thinking about this and it gives you a starting point, but we want you to tell us when we're wrong and add to that voice.
0: And that's, that's so powerful, I think. And so Hung Lee approached me. He's from, he's one of the owners of BN, And he approached me because he saw that something that I said on LinkedIn, he was like, hey, we want to do this. We want to make this real. Because um, there had been some attempts before, but it never really came to fruition. And now this is actually happening. So uh, it's very complicated. It, it, the more that we dive in, I think we all realize, oh, okay, now we got to figure this thing out. We got to figure this thing out. But eventually, it's going to be a tangible, real, practical guide to terminology and best practices, all of those things to really kind of help someone reference if they need kind of a gut check. And and we're also reaching out to universities that specialize in motion design, and they're all very interested in partnering with us. So it's a big deal and it's very exciting. So for all the listeners, please get involved once it launches.
1: (laughs) We talked about it and you said motion design has a marketing problem. Because it is, in my mind, kind of the umbrella over a lot of creative industries and borrows and kind of um, morphs things from feature animation and VFX and sound design and writing and filmmaking and photography, it, it is very easy to get confused and very easy to get lost in the shuffle of like, what is it? What, like, what is motion design? And I think this is a great first step towards the industry taking on its own shoulders of like, this is this is who we are and how we like to talk about ourselves. It's not locked in, but at least gives a common kind of understanding. I think it's a it's a huge mission that i think a lot of people have never been able to put like a name to that it's amazing that now we do have one that we can say oh check the codex go go over there talk to these people to kind of like get started
0: and i think just to put an exclamation point on what you just said it's a starting point for even bigger initiatives that could involve everyone in this industry and how no one's ever done anything like that to where everyone is included and involved and valued and so yeah. You know, even if that means, you know, we have certain standards that we we really want to push out into the world for employment or whatever, you know, these are conversations that can happen now that we've created a community. And so we can kind of listen in and say, what's important to us right now? What do we want to achieve? Okay, let's do that together. So it's very exciting. And I'm so grateful to be a part of it.
1: And we're so grateful that Amanda and Ruth of Cream Studios joined us on the show today because... While they're really great at finding the fun and getting work done, they also found a way to get up on stage and talk to hundreds of complete strangers about the industry, their difficulties, and their successes. And that's really what this show is about as well. You know, I think that there's a handful of studios out there alongside Cream, BN, newfangled studios that really, besides just working on beautiful things for amazing clients, they also find time to focus on the humanity of this industry. There's a growing need for a bigger sense of community and transparency. And between things like getting on stage or the creative codex or doing open office hours, I really love that Cream Studios puts the people in this business first. And those people are you, which is why I'm so glad we're having this conversation. So until next show, seize the play. Seize the play is a spilt studio podcast. If you have an idea of someone you'd like us to talk to or a topic you'd like to hear more about, drop us a line at play at spilt.com. That's S P I L L T.com. And if you like what you hear, subscribe.